If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, what up, friends? Thanks for subscribing and coming back to learn along with the rest of us motherfuckers. This month has been devoted to relationship obstacles, as in why we're afraid to even get started. Examining common trauma hangups in the areas of issuing vulnerability, intimacy, and trust, or VIT for short. Exploring why we tend to get relationally avoidant at a certain point post-PTSD, especially as we start to realize the impact of our post-traumatic stress on others and the self-loathing that it creates about ourselves. So we dove into research on the topic this month, learning about the long-lasting effects of intimate partner violence as they relate to cognitive distortions, suspiciousness, and reduced likelihood to reject others healthily. We also checked in with a paper on high-risk, low-connection, sexual behaviors in soldiers hearing their reflections on using distant relationships for meeting biological needs while still maintaining self-protective strategies to hide their wounds from others. Fears of disclosure, sense of otherness, and assumptions of self-incompetence reigned supreme. Then, we also dipped into the utility of forging vulnerable, intimate, and trusting relationships for trauma recovery and the relational setups that can help us start to practice safely, according to the research. 
So today I figured I'd give you the more personal account of the academic details that we've covered so far. Cutting out all the research findings and theories about why PTSD sufferers get relationally isolated. How about we just discuss the experience straight from the horse-voiced horse's mouth? Why is connection so difficult? Because a fucker tends to feel drawn to it and opposed to it all at once. Memories of everything going wrong and logical extrapolations about how that cookie is doomed to crumble again in the future run rampant, stopping us in our tracks before or in the midst of relationships, ending any hope of safe, healing, trustworthy relationship, and engaging self-protection strategies to spare ourselves the suffering. So, for you today, I've got an episode shared from the full podcast stream. If you're anything like me and the bulk of the traumatized motherfuckers who've turned away from anxious attachment, when you consider the idea of engaging in another relationship, something inside of your brain may scream for an opportunity, while another voice confidently states, Oh, hell no. Let's count down the ways. Here's yeah, episode of the week. Hope it helps explain some disorganized attachment troubles. And you know where to go to hear all the research deets that deepen the personal account. Hail your damn self and cheers, y'all. Let's talk about learned, logical relationship fears. So, fuckers... We've been talking a lot of relationship issues this year, starting with loneliness and the many ways it overlaps with CPTSD, then using internal family systems, we went diving into the ways our brains pattern themselves after the social influences in our environments, leaving us with strenuous relationships in our own heads. Then this month, we started flying headfirst into what freaks many of us out the most. Vulnerability, intimacy, and trust. The prerequisites to healing and loneliness-quenching relationships. For the past two weeks, we've covered research accounts of those troubles we have engaging in authentic, healing, connective relationships post-trauma. Now, you know... We've got an extra week in the month of April, so I figured, guess that means an extra week to hit on this topic. Let's do a discussion of what we've covered from the more experiential standpoint underlying all those research accounts. What stands in the way of fulfilling relationships, or even attempting to engage in them, when you're running on trauma brains with long histories of relational shittery? as described by our own motherfucking experiences. Let's dig into it as it paves the way for our topic next month. I'm not going to give it away. You'll have to listen until the end here and see if we're on the same page with all of this. So let's get started. Here's some extra she on VIT in relationships, or more specifically, 
how we never allow ourselves to even try them on for size anymore. So, we know by now, brains really only work in the language of logic, making connections wherever they seem reasonable based on past data points, intellectualizing our experiences so we can stop feeling about them. We have to make up stories about what we've seen and what it all means, and those tales dictate how we operate in daily life forever until something forces us to rewrite them. Uh, Something, something, something. Check out the perspective series from this time last year, 2022. So with all of that said, I mean, when we talk about forming relationships, What are your thoughts reasonably going to lead you towards? A lifetime of continuing to freely give away your inner and outer experiences to whomever might offer a source of connection? Hell goddamn nah. Look at it from a brain's perspective. We've done it. It has sucked. And we have about a billion and one stories about why that save us from feeling too deeply about the events. So why would we be vulnerable again when others have hurt us so much before? Why be intimate when it only opens up more room for these future attacks to take place? Why trust others when we've been fucked over a million times now And each one of those experiences was already another crack at, maybe this one will be different. I have to keep trying. Yeah, our brains wisely don't. They've been put through the meat grinder way too many times already. Our past trials were failures, and they had deleterious effects on the whole team as we assess them. Plus, we've probably found other ways to fill our time and attention without relationships in the past. What's the point of diverting our focus from those new outlets for the sake of getting wrecked again? We know what works for us now. Oftentimes, it's isolation and making our own ways in the world. Ruthless independence and self-sufficiency which is a huge relief after that lifetime of relational trauma. After so many experiences of being sucked into other people's lives and brain antics, tossed around like tiny sailboats on a lot of stormy seas that we didn't accurately predict sailing across. Finally, able to live our own goddamn lives and be with our own selves, without fear of social retaliation or time-sucking associations. Why would we let anyone get in the way of that? Again, we've tasted the freedom of not being perpetually triggered into our F responses with others, not dealing with the self-shaming that comes afterwards, and we don't want to go back. On top of that, I mean, there's not only the relationship itself to worry about, and all the ways it can destroy us. But then there's the other person to worry about as well. We feel responsible for everyone often due to that parentification early in life. We are fawning pros. We regulate ourselves to keep everyone comfortable and happy. And in this community, at least, 
We're pretty well aware of the ways that our own trauma has made us have some extreme reactions and unhealthy patterns that can be transmitted to our social contacts. We're not wanting to pass on our traumas anymore, but they do have a way of rearing up in relationships. So what are we going to do? Willfully push our worst parts on other people or accept taking them on ourselves as we still try to endlessly support others throughout our own triggerings? Hmm. It's a lot of responsibility and weight to consider taking on after you've had a break from it. If we're in the midst of recovery, we feel we aren't ready to subject other people to our trauma coasters, trademark Christy, and unhealed patterns yet. And we worry about what the relationship will do to our recovery since we're still actively stitching up those bullet holes. So real, intimate relationships are not easy to consider taking on, especially when we know the payoff will probably ultimately be, uh, let's call it a shit blizzard raining down on you someday, as all those times you were vulnerable, intimate, and trusting come back to bite you in the ass in the midst of bumpy relationship roads. Yeah. No one is chomping at the bit to be back inside of those hellstorms. And even if we were to decide to give ourselves the go-ahead for engaging in personal dynamics, there's a lot to keep worrying about. The onset of relationships is stressful. We have no idea what they expect from us or what we expect from ourselves. The meat of the relationship is a continual guessing game and trauma pinging fest. Whose patterns are whose patterns and what the fuck do they all mean? And then we realize preemptively that it's not like any friendship or partnership ends quickly, painlessly, or without prolonged consequences to our inner and outer worlds. We've been through it. We've seen it. We've felt it. We know. It's going to be months or years of chaos as we see the relationship taking a dive and try to resuscitate it. When we exert this energy and good faith to forge a real, close, intimate relationship, we see it as sunk costs. We've already committed so much to this friendship or partnership, so much effort and so many good faith decisions, so many high roads in order to stay present at all. So what does it mean about us if it fails? And how are we going to justify the wasted time and energy? We've invested emotionally, and that means a lot to us. We took something we already lacked and shared it anyways. It took a leap of faith and a lot of courage. We tried to let someone in, and that was no easy feat. So once the relationship is failing, we're left to contend with the knowledge that we've already put a lot into it, and somehow the connection actually worked before, at least at some points, in order for us to have kept trying. With those memories of easy, early intimacy, we figure, maybe we can undo the past. Maybe it can revert to prior versions. Maybe if we work hard at this, the relationship can work again, and our effort won't all have been for naught. So, 
we've realized that relationships tend to fall into this dysfunctional phase of everything falling apart, but we keep knocking more holes in the walls as we try to patch them up. We know it's exhausting. We know it's triggering. And it historically made us resent ourselves for ever being this connected to someone in the first place. It leaves a stain in our memories as we think about the option of doing it all again. We also realize from past experience that each party may or may not put in equal effort. Another point of over-responsibility that hits our brains before we even start trying to connect. How is this asshole going to stick me with the full accountability for this relationship? Probably in the very near future. And how is that going to demolish my inner world? Maybe the outer one, too. Our brain is already on possible outcome number 20 before we make a single intimate, vulnerable, or trusting gamble. Why even bother? Why get involved at all? Or why not stick to these to forming these highly constrained relationships where we keep each other at a distance instead, like the soldiers in our prior episodes did. We think about how relationships tend to unfold for us and assess a lot of time and energy wasted with a party who vampires them straight out of our lives. And we don't really jump at the opportunity to give ourselves our control and our lives away again. But it's still not over because then we also get to the predicted aftermath of the relationship, the other major concern we're already fearing of. Because then our brains also assess that Lord Archie knows how long the ruminatory and self-loathing spell will be when this thing finally fucking ends. Maybe six months of torture? Minimum? Maybe a lot longer, depending on what happened and is continuing to happen post-split? Maybe forever, if it's one of those things we've encountered 20 times before already, and this is the final nail in the coffin. Or if we just don't let go of the self-judgments about what went wrong. Strong, strong possibility. And no one around here wants to live with more reasons to hate ourselves. We're already pretty well filled to the brim. I mean, even if you're cool with the relationship dissipation, when it happens, doesn't your brain commonly manage to change its tune sometime later? And then the continual thinking and rethinking analyzing from all directions, and questioning of self really begins. What did I do wrong? What does it mean about me? How are others judging me presently? How will future relationships be screwed by my mere presence in them again? Fun thoughts to stew with after an interpersonal dynamic doesn't work out for any reason, and your inner critic gets a hold of your perspectives. And let's also make sure to mention, if you were vulnerable, intimate, and trusting enough to merge resources or friend groups, you realize you'll have even more than cognitive torture to worry about. You might also be thinking of the practical, measurable resource and social loss 
before deciding if a close relationship is worth pursuing. Loss is a huge factor for the brain to consider. Sure, we can have an expanded world while this relationship lasts. Maybe go on some cool adventures, have less life pressure on our shoulders, a regular companion to engage with, and even their social circle to explore. But someday, based on past experience, we assess that all of that will be taken away. So why, as usual, expand our vision to include the threat of hope and comfort and expansion if those things are ultimately going to be ripped out of our hands again? Isn't it worse to experience the things and have them redacted than to never have the things at all? More life stability? Great, until it's taken away. More support on a daily basis? Fuck yeah, until it's pulled back and we're left with less regularly used skills trying to support ourselves. More friends? Awesome, until they take the other party's side and we're feeling rejected and isolated again. The fact is, if you were already on the fence about how you feel towards yourself and others, the end of a relationship is gonna be a real bad time, in a litany of ways, personal and practical. And most of us around here, we check this box. No one wants to relive the subsequent events of failed relationship experience, and uh, we're extra aversive to ideas that we don't want to take on as we've already experienced more or less nothing but those failed relationship experiences. So no matter which way you slice it, no matter which strategy you previously chose for human connection, diving in without checking for water or living in a human connection desert by default, we were raised on human abuse and neglect, and that follows us, stinting our interest in engaging wholly with others until we can rewrite those programs. We've repeated those patterns throughout life, acting on unhealed wounds and unfulfilled voids, and then we're set up to experience the exact same explosions, implosions, and unexpected dissolutions down the road which ping those original traumas and set our brains ablaze. None of this prophesizes, it's a good idea to be my real self and share my life unfiltered and up close with new humans. So instead, we often stay lonely or isolated on purpose as a backwards comfort and verification of our past outcast identities, or by accident. And speaking of loneliness, doesn't this explain the ongoing emotional loneliness issue that comes up with CPTSD? We learned in January that children who experience childhood traumas are more likely to develop emotional loneliness and that condition tends to stay consistent into adulthood. On top of that, social loneliness gets added in with additional trauma exposures in grown-updom. And unfortunately, 
all relationships that are going to relieve us of emotional loneliness at a minimum are going to have to include some vulnerability, intimacy, and trust. If we're unable to express our feelings and experiences without fear, we're going to feel lonely no matter who is around. On the other hand, social loneliness seems like a slightly easier target to demolish. Maybe I can have more connections at a lesser degree of vulnerability, intimacy, and trust, we decide. But those relationships also require at least a degree of trust to satiate. You can't build your social network very successfully if you explicitly or implicitly fear other humans to the core. Those increased levels of suspiciousness, post-abuse, don't make casual relationships very easy or fun for us either. So, we're pretty much standing on the face of a cliff. Perpetual loneliness. Looking down and realizing we don't want to keep marching that route. But when we turn around to go back in the other direction from where we came, we now find that there's a huge wall standing there as well. One that our past constructed on its own. Uh, maybe with some help from our brains, which expanded on the original events to make this monumental self-protective obstacle we now face. We don't want to walk alone off the edge of an unscalable cliff, but we don't have any room to let someone else in or to change course with this blockage that's cropped up in our brains. A tomb we've built to keep ourselves safe that's now pushing us towards an isolative and lonely destiny that we don't truly desire. If you're like me, you've probably seen enough shit at this point to carry a certain protective skepticism about mankind. My problem with forming close and lasting relationships all comes back to the expectations that have developed in that belief and behavioral system developed over a lifetime. Expectations on my part that humans will let me down, promise things they do not deliver on, talk out their asses more than their mouths, delude themselves however convenient, shut down when conversations really need to happen, play the blame game instead of finding resolutions, and then disappear one day with a black and white narrative that shits all over 99% of the full story. So go in expecting the worst times of your life to be inevitably repeated and try to be a good relationship companion from that vantage point. You, you can't. You can't really even let yourself. You can't even really get started because you're too busy trying to put more bricks on top of your fortress. When I even try to consider using something to make new friends, such as a dating app or joining a local group, my brain just boomerangs, boomerangs back the other direction to say, you know, that's not a good idea. Just let sleeping dogs lie and spare yourself the bites. My anticipation of being misunderstood, used, and left behind puts up roadblocks to even thinking about thinking about new connections. My expectations are all colored by historical shit lenses. And then there are the expectations I have for expectations from them. 
what do I assume people are going to demand from me as soon as the relationship hits a certain stride? In one word, everything. They're going to want my undivided attention, devotion, loyalty, emotional support, mental reasoning, executive functioning skills applied to their personal circumstances, a perfect appearance, a consistent and predictable emotional and physical state, and generally access to, I don't really know how else to phrase this, use me, to use me physically, my body belongs to them. To use me mentally, I'm always supposed to be thinking about them. To use me socially, I always seem to be a part of someone else's self-concept that they're trying to form for themselves. A key piece of their self-esteem and social capital monopoly game projected onto me without my permission or insider knowledge. I expect to be expected to live for other people to exist only to keep the relationship comfortable and rewarding for them. Enough is never enough. An inch instantly becomes a mile. Emotional, physical, and mental needs are continually going to be made my duty to attend to as soon as the relationship is reasonably established. Expectations I'll never be able to fill because they're not agreed upon based on outside influences and ideas about how relationships should work. And from my personal wheelhouse, which is still under construction during this recovery from prior terrible relationships, they're just not something I can actually do. Which, bonus points, I also expect the other party won't be able to understand any of that or won't really desire to. So, you know, with a cascading series of thoughts like that, it's no wonder that I don't often get a toe in the door when it comes to vulnerability, intimacy, and trust. With forming new connections that could burn me to the ground, the concepts are fundamentally oppositional to what my brain anticipates is coming for me later. My brain says... If you're vulnerable, they will strike, immediately or when it serves them, someday. Who knows when I'll be blindsided by their callousness and cruelty. If you're intimate, they'll know too much and you'll be punished for it eventually. I'll be shocked when my deepest personal knowledge is eventually used against me. If you trust them, you'll surely regret it in a number of hours, days, or weeks. It's only a matter of time until they show you that they're just as capable of harm as everyone else, and the image they presented was inauthentic to the programming that lies beneath. You don't let someone inside your house when you expect them to steal all your shit and burn it to the ground, long before they even bother to saunter their way out, or right as they exit, fleeing from the scene with gasoline container in hand. And I don't allow people into my brain or my, sorry, warning of lameness, heart for the same reasons either. What? Reveal all this deep personal shit? Give them everything I've got and hope for the best? Maybe this one won't turn my life into Tinder and strike a match like all the rest? Let's just roll the dice and worry about it later 
when I kiss my sanity, self-esteem, and safety goodbye. Uh, nah, fuckers. Been through the song and dance enough times. I know how the moves progress, and I'm not here for the breakdown. Again. That is what my wily, historically educated brain has to say about the whole matter. So even when I do try to let people in, something inside of me stops it at some point. If I can reason with all my fucked up core beliefs and convince myself to take a chance on someone, it really doesn't last long before something sets those bells ringing and all my ability to share myself consistently and reliably is redacted again. This can happen in a relationship in the beginning, which ends the relationship very quickly. Push people away fast, and they go away fast. Unless, of course, they've got some obsessive or anxious attachment problems. Meaning, if they don't leave when you refuse to let them in, you should probably run even faster. That's some boundary crossing and an indication of clingy, controlling, nightmarish things to come at least in my book. When you don't let people in from the beginning, they'll either find another door to walk through, another social option, or they'll try to break yours down. And my system does not respond well to people trying to take what they want from me when I've already been clear about what I'm willing to offer. I put up walls, you bust them apart, I'll build those walls up higher than you can possibly scale, fucker. And if you do somehow get over the top of those structures, you'll find that I vacated the other side. Disassociating whenever we interact as my brain detects danger and throws me into a safer space. In the other direction, this can go. Maybe they do accept your walls and barriers. Maybe they're okay with a shallow, surface-level relationship with a lot of distance. But at your core, are you? Is that what you really wanted? Probably not. There's little reason to keep engaging as folks who don't tend to be fond of small talk in this community. It can also happen mid-relationship, cyclically, as I've mentioned, we're friends, but I doubt that I can trust you 50% of the days. Just can't open myself up. Can't even really communicate. That text message sits unanswered because my brain won't let me respond. It's too stressful to figure out what to say, to express enough but not too much, to engage without letting the interaction become overwhelming and intentionally disruptive. Or attentionally disruptive. Too many expectations of expectations in return to hit the keyboard, even with friends. Or maybe we're romantic partners, but I spontaneously feel like you're as trustworthy as one of my family members, especially when we're in close proximity. Before, I loved you, but then we got into the same room and something inside of me does not feel the same way. I feel suspicious and on edge, waiting for the next shoe. Is there a lot to say about the overlap between my clan and the people I end up with? The patterns that run my life? 
the shared triggers between those social connections. Oh, yeah, you know it. There always is. But the outcome is the same. When we part ways, I suddenly feel better and also desire to be close again. Until we are. And then I want you to go away because there are gears turning in your head that are grinding on my own. Back and forth, hot and cold, vulnerable, intimate, and trusting, and then a rapid turnaround towards a total shutdown. What's going on? They don't know. I don't know. Everyone is unsettled and uncertain of what's to come. And the relationship begins to strain because inconsistency equals dissipation of trust. Then come the revocations of intimacy and vulnerability right alongside. Plus, when you do let people in initially, but later pull back and redact that closeness, they can really only respond in two ways. They'll feel rejected and the relationship could suffer permanent irreparable damage now, that the trust has been completely broken. They might lick their wounds as they walk away. Or they'll lean in harder trying to earn your favor, a learned trauma response, overcompensate for what's going wrong and try to endear themselves to your brain again, which feels manipulative and uh, pretty suspicious to us. The third lofty option that we all kind of hope for is that they'll stick around, but from a distance that we are determining, and let us work our shit out without being affected by it. Then we can regroup when we're reoriented and see what happens from that more stable ground. But uh, that's really asking a lot of someone. The relationship would require some serious commitment, communication, trust, and mutual understanding for that to happen, and a lot of inner work being done on their part. And there's still a good chance that we find on the other side of the reunion that we just shut down and withdraw again. We get triggered once more, and we're already halfway out the door. So start the recentering and reunion process all over again, as if most people have the patience and self-esteem for that runaround. We might realize that we wanted the relationship when we had distance from it. Now that it's up in our face and in our brain again, something has severely shifted. Now thanks. I'm still as incapable of allowing this vulnerable, intimate, trustworthy, ongoing connection as I was before, it turns out. And that is possibly going to be the factor that breaks the camel's back after all of these attempts at rectification and reunion. Of course, at which point we might be again longing for all the relationship aspects that we denied ourselves in the lost whatever ship. Always wanting what we don't have, always fearing what we do, and finding vulnerability, intimacy, and trust to be borderline impossible goals that get stunted and stalled out from within. <laughs> so this seems like a pretty reasonable place to end for the day as a means to flow right into the next conversation next month. So 
if all of this has been sounding a lot like polarized parts to you, if you've been yelling at this podcast episode that I'm not saying very much about the words that go along with the internal system dynamics being described, you're dead on the money. It's been on purpose. Don't fret. What I've said so far is at least one part wants connection, but many parts are horrified by the idea. Maybe the connection desirer pitches some their way from time to time, but those human intimacy skeptical parts are not going to play ball. Exile and protector battles raging on. And no matter which part is suddenly activated by external events, a wild shift in perspective and behaviors takes place that gets in the way of our relationships. One that feels like you aren't really making the calls yourself. Something inside of you, bubbling below the surface, maybe since childhood, has been. Or... Several of them have been, with completely conflicting senses of reality, needs, and survival strategies. Some of them still lamenting unactualized, vulnerable connections. Some of them lamenting the fact that you're lamenting unactualized, vulnerable connections and not being real goddamn kind, subtle, or compromising about it. With you stuck somewhere in between the desire and fear for vulnerability, intimacy, and trust. So let's come back next month and talk about this part of the equation, the parts part. How do our internal systems create relationship challenges, starting with offering vulnerability, intimacy, and trust, and not ripping it all back at the first perceived sign of danger? See you next time, and until then, hail these brains, evolved for the purpose of human connection. Hail yourself. Hail Archie. And that's it. Cheers, y'all. Talk to you real soon. Bye-bye. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.